Welcome to the Depths of Motherhood podcast, the show that is ready to go deep into the exploration of raising wildlings in today's world and how to tap into your innate wisdom. Hosted by Danielle Baker, a women's circle facilitator, doula, and passionate mother. Danielle welcomes guests onto the show who are dedicated to positively influencing the world of pregnancy, birth, parenting, and humaning in general. Join us to debunk the myths and reveal truths that will realign you back to your true nature. Mothering in today's world may seem overwhelming at times. This podcast aims to cut through the noise to share with you information to support you on your journey. If you love this podcast, show your support by signing up to the Depths of Motherhood Patreon, starting from as little as $3. If you join the highest tier, you'll gain access to the Women's Circle Online, run by Danielle, where she shares weekly live gatherings, sharing tools for body literacy, womb healing, radical rest, and a space to explore conversations for rewilding. All classes are recorded and stored in the Living Library. If you're listening, you can receive 50% off monthly membership by clicking the link in the show notes. Welcome everybody to the Depths of Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Danielle. This week, Melissa joins us on the show. Melissa is a holistic birth and postpartum care specialist who is passionate about supporting families through the transformative journey of pregnancy, birth and beyond. With her extensive experience as a doula and breastfeeding support specialist, as well as her expertise in yoga and meditation, Melissa brings a unique and holistic approach to her work. Now, since recording this, Melissa and I have become very good friends and she has been a huge support for me and I'm just loving, loving, loving having her part of my life. So I'm really grateful to share this story with you all and for us to sit and witness her. So if you're ready, find a comfortable space, whether you're sitting, walking, driving your car, just tune into your breath for a moment. And notice how deep you can take that breath, how it can expand your whole body and how that exhale can bring some peace. As you sit in circle with your sisters to witness Melissa opening up to hold space to fully receive. Thank you so much actually, for being here. I'm so I'm so grateful that you're here, here with me. This is actually a new feature on our podcast where we are doing the recording with one of the mothers for the full episode. I used to just read out the um, the birth story, but I decided you know it'd be so nice just to get to know who's in our community and share mother's story as well because I think it's just so powerful and. It's beyond words, really, from hearing it from a mother herself to hear the emotions come through and to see what they went through. And I read the bio, the write-up that you did, and I'm really looking forward just to sitting here and and listening to you. And this this podcast has been going for over a year now. This is coming up to the 55th episode, I think. And Mm. it's just been incredible. I read what happened to you, and a similar thing happened to me. And I Mm. just... um, yeah, on the other side, I was like, I need to figure out what, what is going on because I thought I educated myself. I was a nurse in a past life and I'd done my doula training, but nothing could really, um, nothing could prepare me for what was about to happen because I was in Costa Rica. So all these mm, things yeah. didn't me and I just had my partner. So I didn't have the support. And now I, on the other side, I'm like, I realize how important that is. But I'd gone through this, um, they kind of looked into the free birth a lot and I'd been, yeah. um, my mind had gone to being like, I just want to be, I'm an animal, I'm on my own. But 
forget in all the layers that make us a human. <laughs> mm, right, right. And, you know, that's what birth does. It like forces you to go into those layers that we so often are like conditioned not to peek into. And also there is like a discomfort that comes along with looking at those layers. And sometimes we get, we have just since childhood, I feel like have programmed ourselves to not look into it, but things like birth force you into that. Yes. So it's like, there's no other, yeah, there's no other way. You just, you must go in it. Right. Um, so you don't have a choice. yeah, like you're going in no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what, yeah, no matter you're what. going into that space. Like, so just yeah. hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your accent's amazing. Really? Yeah, I love yeah, it. I love yours as well. I love hearing you speak. That's what I was going to say about how you did have the podcast. Um, before previously, you would um, speak the woman's birth story. It was always yeah. really beautiful. I'm like, I love listening to your podcast, and it was really beautiful to hear you speak the stories of the women. And I kept mm. thinking, where is this woman from? <laughs> I'm from England originally. <laughs> Yes, I heard that finally in one of the recordings because I was like, is this like a strange Australian accent or like it's so unique. I've never heard it before. And I have like an affection for accents anyway. So I was like trying to figure out what it was. And so it was also cool to hear you're from England. But it's funny because when I listen to my recordings, depending on where am I in my cycle, my my voice changes. I same, just listened same. to one yesterday and it was it was when I was bleeding and my voice is so soft and like just mm. melts. I'm like that sounds great and then another one I'm like this because I'm coming into my spring and I'm like Woo, let's do this <laughs> yeah yeah totally and so what depends. part of England what part um, of England from the north originally okay. but then I left home at like 15 and went in the military and started like traveling around and ended up down in the south where the accent is a lot different than the north of England and, and then, would people comment on your accent well it was we kind of it's funny because it Kind of smoothed out, but then I started traveling when I was 18 and all of my friends were American. So doing voice messages, I would just pretend to do American accent. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up being this like Australian. And I think traveling, you yeah, like I have to learn to pronounce my words because I where I'm from in England, you miss so many words and you don't say the T's. So it's mm-hmm. like you you have to learn to pronounce, otherwise people don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think now that we're speaking about accents and traveling, that can kind of bring me to my first birth when I was pregnant with Ollie, which he wasn't Ollie then, but um, this was in Estonia. Have you heard of Estonia? This is a country that I didn't know about until I was in my 20s. Um, Estonia, but it's in North- of Estonia, yeah. Yeah, it's in North Europe. Um, and I made it to Estonia from, I was like a sort of au pair for my sister and her husband and their two girls. And so I lived in Finland, helping them transition to move there. And it's quite common in Finland to take this boat across the Baltic Sea to go to Estonia. I guess it would be sort of like people that live in South um, California, like taking the border over to go to Mexico because it's much cheaper to like buy booze or whatever, you know, to get there and then you just come right back. So Finns very often do that. So I met my husband in Estonia. We, there's a whole long story back and forth there, but we ended up living there. And um, I was studying, I was in a master's program, not necessarily because I felt super drawn to it, but because that's what I had to do to have a residency to stay. I could either study or we could get married. And we did, hadn't known each other that long. So I was like, okay, let me just get in school because it's free because I'm in Europe, which was also so wild for me. And um, 
then I found out after my first year, I feel like I wasn't quite into the school. So I'm not sure if that's why I manifested this pregnancy, but it was not quite planned. But there was something happening and somehow I needed to become pregnant. And um, I think I was 27, 26, 25, 24. So then my husband was 23, but he was my partner at the time. We, had, we weren't married. So we were quite young. And previously I had watched in college when I got on this like strange, I'm sure a lot of people, this has maybe happened to them, but when Netflix kind of first came out, I got really into all of these documentaries and I was like sucking them down, like Food Inc. And this is kind of where I, a mixture of that, I kind of became somewhat enlightened. And in that marathon of watching documentaries, I remember somehow seeing the business of being born. And I was never super emotional when it came to watching things on TV or listening to stories. Like I remember other people around me sometimes crying when like a commercial or something would really move them. And I always thought that was strange. But somehow when I watched this documentary, The Business of Being Born, I would cried. And I remember being in college so far from even considering, you know, having a baby and it just moved me. And I thought like, wow, that just, of course, there's another way to give birth. And because I was already kind of coming out of the psyop of if I left the doctor's office, I started to realize like, I don't feel good when I leave here. I feel worse, actually. And this awareness was just budding through me, you know, and realizing that I was like, a, just not a good match for birth control. Like, this is also the time of like getting on birth control and then being like, actually, it was my mom that noticed it before me. She was like, Anyway, that's really cool. That's another story that I could go down. But I remember that probably changed a lot of trajectory for me too. Just well, that awareness. Like, your mom told you like check in with them? <clears throat> she said, I think I was having probably like some kind of meltdown <laughs> and calling her. And she knew that I was, had recently got on birth control because I don't know when I got on it, but it really wasn't because I was super sexually active or anything. I think I, so weirdly, I wanted to like become more womanly figured. And I remember girls that got on birth control, they would always talk about how they like gained weight, got boobs, got a butt. And I was this like little petite twiggy, like itty bitty titty committee kind of gal. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is going to, this is going to turn me into a woman. You know, how funny, how ridiculous. Yeah. Mm, I spoke mm. about this recently, actually, that I had the exact same thoughts. I thought what? taking the pill may, meant being a woman. I just spoke about wow. it. So funny. Same thing. Wow. I, this is the first time I've actually said that out loud and made that connection. Wow. So that's quite cool just to talk it out and make the connection that way. That that's what I thought a woman was this like voluptuous, like that was an attractive, desirable woman. Um, so anyway, my mom had noticed, she was like, you know how she, the exact word she used was birth control never worked for me. I was never like a good candidate. I think she said, which is funny because no one is, but I think she used the words. I was never a good candidate for birth control. And I would have never made that. Or let's not say that. It's so cool that she was the one that made that connection. My mother looking at her daughter and that triggered me to say, why am I even, I don't even need to be taking this. It is totally throwing me off. I forget to take it for four days and I start my period. Then I start taking it again. I was so like all over the place, total college, like pothead. Like I just was not going to be able to handle remembering to take some little pill every day. And so, yeah, so all of this was this awakening sort of happened in college. So I had a little bit of a foundation before finding out I was pregnant to know that I 
wasn't going to go this standard route. And in it, I had the, you know, luxury, one might call it, or the like, just the unique circumstance of being in Europe where midwives are the norm. And it's like, you don't take a GBS test. You don't take a, none of that. I had to, I didn't have to decline any of that because it doesn't exist in the country. So I think there was already a lot that was a little bit different anyway. Like women in Estonia don't ever see an OBGYN for birth. You always go to a midwife Mm -hmm. first. You know, maybe if somebody had a really big, like what someone might call a complication, I don't know, because I never spoke to anybody where that was their thing. They also have a year and a half paid maternity leave, which is wild. And women breastfeed their babies. Like it's such a common thing that you breastfeed your babies. So I think that I was like inserted into a culture where I really had this feeling that I was getting like a like a different elevated kind of care than what women in America were receiving. And I think in many ways that's probably true. And yet I still somehow ended up in this like system of what I now know and what some people, a term that some people are like a little bit uncomfortable with, but it's like this midwife where Mm -hmm. the midwife is being trained through the system and has learned a lot of interventions that don't help birth in my experience and in my belief system around birth, what I know to be true about birth now. So I remember I went through like three or four midwives and there was a few, like one, we didn't really speak. I, they, Estonian is the language there. And because this is like a post-Soviet country, not many people in my mom's generation, my mom's age, which were a lot of these midwives were around 50 years old, 40, 50 years old. They're English. They don't know English very, very well. And so there was like a little bit of a, all the kids speak English. Everyone my age speaks English. But this next generation, like the parents' generation, I think they all speak Russian and Estonian and they can read Russian and Estonian. Many of them speak German. Many speak German. But English was just like not really embedded in the culture like it was other places in Europe, like Finland and Sweden, like everyone's grandparents speaks English in Finland or Sweden. But in Estonia, for to meet a grandparent that speaks English is very rare. Um, so there was a bit of this language barrier that I, I struggled with, really. It was just so hard for me during the whole process. But um, I feel like I'm kind of drawing it out. I want to get to the birth. But the prenatal care, I felt, was... I knew that there were some red flags that in hindsight I looked back on and I had this like good girl complex and this like fear of being a foreigner complex Mm -hmm. that played into me accepting interventions that now I would know that I would just never really go back to that space um, to bring a baby into the world. So it ended up being, I labored at home. The baby almost came so quickly. Like things went to zero to a hundred in like five minutes. I mean, it was just so, I woke up. I had cramps all night, but I thought I just had like a big meal the night before. And I thought like, man, I'm really digesting that lamb. What is going on? And in the morning, my waters opened right away. Like I it just like peed right there on the floor and all the water came out. It was like a big shift. Like I was, I was like, I'm going to lay down for a second. And try to go back to sleep because I definitely feel that something's happening, but I don't know what it is. And I just want to be like arrested. 
So I remember just like getting back in bed and laying down and all of a sudden it was like this, like, I don't know if the baby, the baby like did something. And I sat right up and it was like, it like just bolted me up and then stood up and then my water's released. And I was like, okay, so it's go time. And my mom was there. My mom was visiting, visiting Estonia at the time, which is kind of cool. Cause I had this like feeling that it would be really great for her to be there for the birth, but I wasn't attached to it because babe could have come at any time. So, um, my partner right away wanted to wake up my mom and I was like, no, let's just kind of like get our bearings first and like, you know, come, let me just like come in and then we'll wake mom up whenever it starts getting close to time. And then like almost instantly the contractions started coming and then I started throwing up. I threw up a couple of times mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, this is kind of like, this is intense so quick already. And then I was, we called the midwife. And so we pay in Estonia, you can either there's a birth center and the birth room has a tub and all of these other things. And, but I still didn't like it. I wanted to give birth at home. I'm kind of now switching back and forth a little bit, but in Estonia, there's like five home birth midwives in the entire country when I was there. It's a tiny, tiny country. And I called and emailed every single one of them, but I was already like seven months along at this point where I was like slowly reading the books that my yoga teacher had given me to read. And I was like, wait, actually home is where I want to give birth. Like, even if there is this birth center with like a tub and the midwife is there and, you know, all of these things, I actually still think now I realize that I want to be at home. And, um, none of them could do it. And so all the language in there, I had never really even heard of free birth. So this is way before like (laughs) tuning into that world. I had only known that like the superior care was a midwife and the best place to give birth at ho- was at home with a licensed midwife. That's kind of where I, and how strange that one of the midwives emailed me back and was like, you could tell that, you know, they're all emailing me back in English. So there is a little bit of a barrier there, but it's in some form, she said, like, she's not available during that date and don't try to give birth at home without any attendant. She actually said that in the email and like, a, which is, this is also a very Estonian woman, just kind of like telling you. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, it's a hard, cold, like a little bit rough culture. You're talking about like, this is like post-Soviet Arctic North. Like the people are like stone cold, like, and the women are very strong. I learned a lot about strong women there and like not being a good girl in many ways. Mm-hmm. So coming back, I had through my yoga class, somebody had recommended a doula and had said that I must have her. And this woman's name was Aura, Aura, like an Aura was the woman's name, which is kind of cool. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. I need to have this um, doula here. (laughs) But it's quite fascinating that twice, both with the midwife and the doula, I at one point had a feeling that like, I actually didn't want them at my Mm -hmm. birth. I just knew that. I was like, actually, I don't want them there. And I had even mentioned to the doula, like, hey, I may call you. I may not. I don't want you to feel like I'm just going to kind of go with the flow when I go into labor. So I remember even giving her a little bit of a heads up. But then when things started to get really intense, I was like, okay, let's call the doula. And it's just fascinating that when she got arrived, I was already in the tub because the midwife had said, if things start getting really intense, just get in the tub. And it was cool. When we called her, she was like, great, you're in labor, dance, have fun, go about your day. If it's when the pain gets really intense or if things start getting intense, just then get in the tub. Like she had no, so I was like chilling. I was chilling at home. The midwife gave me permission Like she didn't mention anything about coming in at all. So I was like, I was at home. I was birthing at home, I guess. (laughs) And so, cause like my mind would have never actually gone and switched locations. Mm -hmm. 
it's weird. When I look back on it, I'm thinking if somebody wouldn't have instructed me to get dressed and go, which was so foreign in that moment of being on another planet, because I was already so far in it. And I remember it being, I remember my mom trying to put a pair of shoes on me because the doula was like, we got to go now. At one point I got out of the tub because I knew my legs needed to open. I was like, I can't. And I remember my mom said, just tell me if you feel like you have to push. Okay. Like she was, I could see she saw it. And at one point she even kind of cried. And I remember like laughing a little bit at her. And I was like, mom, why are you crying? It was the kind of come back, come back to this thing. Like, why are they crying all the time? And I was like, mom, why are you crying? She was like, I just, it's so hard for me to see you in pain. And I remember looking at her and saying, mama, I'm not in pain. Like, it's so interesting too, to like, I never felt pain. And like, there was no sensation of like pain. And I remember it almost being like weird that that's what she observed in me which is what we very often observe to a laboring woman that she's in this like excruciating pain and we need to save her and like deliver her from this pain. And so, yeah, that, that was also kind of like a key moment that I remember, but I'm still just like on another, you know, this was like, I was deep in it. And I remember I was like, I got to get out of the tub because my legs have to open. And I like held onto the tub edge and just squatted and I was pushing. I had to push so hard and <clears throat> had like this bloody show. And so according to my partner at this point, the doula like walked out of the bathroom, walked into, uh, told my husband, Oleg was like, we got to go. We got to go now. Like the baby's coming. And he was like, okay. Um, and she was like, get the hospital bag or get the whatever bag she called it. She's speaking Estonian to him, obviously. And she's saying to get the bag. And he was like, what bag? You know, and so funny. We had no plans to leave. Like we had no backpack. I didn't even know you packed a bag. Like it was so funny because the midwife said, like, you can just give birth here and then you can go right home. She literally said that to me. I was like, okay, well, if that does happen, then, okay, it's not the end of the world. I can just do it here in the tub and then just go home by that evening. She literally said that, <laughs> which was such a lie now that I'm realizing, like, fast forward. But surely she didn't mean to lie. I don't know. But... <laughs> Who knows? And it's funny because my Oleg said he still has this feeling of like he fucked up whenever the, the doula looked at him like, you don't have a bag. Like she looked mm. at him as if he was like, we were like irresponsible. It's kind of like how oh we gosh. took it. And especially being like this youth. And in Estonia, women are giving birth when they're like 43. You know, you don't oh. see like 20 something year olds really having babies in this country. It's a bit like you wait longer. So we already always felt kind of young and childish. And like, I think that insecurity was there. And um, <laughs> so I remember my mom trying to put shoes on me. And I was like, this is not, I can't wear shoes right now. Like, this is not even, I even was like, no, like, I can't put on shoes. And so they put like slippers on me and my, my foot didn't fit in the shoe. It just shows that like, you kind of expand, like everything oh. opens and you're not meant to do things that humans do, like put on tennis shoes. You know, that's like ridiculous. <laughs> My brain, I remember, was just like, you can tell that I was so in the primal because things that were of the human world were, did not make any sense yeah. at all. And I remember the midwife, like, finally, Oleg puts me on the phone with the midwife because she's so confused that we're going there after, like, three hours. She was expecting me. This is my first baby. She was confused. And she was like, Melissa, I can meet you there in, like, an hour? You know, like, she was, I guess, doing her own thing. She wasn't on, she was on call. And so... I was like, I have to push. Like, I'm pushing in the hallway of my flat right now, like in the stairwell. And she was like, okay, you have to push. And that was kind of everyone's response once we arrived is like everyone was trying to ask me questions. And then I was like, I have to push. Like, I need to be in a space now to like bring the baby out. So, of course, the 
just the trauma of going from one space that felt like safety and comfort and like okayness to transitioning in a car through traffic, wait, down, down, let's go back down all of the three flights of stairs that I had to go to this to stop every few minutes in the car, driving to the space that was like, people are wearing scrubs and everything squeaky clean. There was like a new couple that I guess was newly pregnant. And I remember the horror of them like looking at me in this state of like labor, knowing that that was going to be them and whatever, you know, eight months or whatever. I ha also have these like vivid memories of making eye contact with some people. And they were like, it, they were scared to see me like that, which is so funny, you know? And um, yeah, so finally I get into a room and it's so funny in American on television, you always see that they would put this laboring woman like in a wheelchair. And in Estonia, it's not like that. They're like, take the stairs up three flights of stairs. It is like a bit more in that way. Like if you need to give labor, they tell you to go and like walk the stairs. So there was definitely things that were more aligned with physiological birth than in the West, for example. But when I arrived there, I was already in such a stress. So then of course the baby was stressed. They were trying to put this like strap around me to measure the heartbeat while I was in the water, which frightened me. And I remember saying like, get this shit off me. And I was like confused. The water was a little bit too warm. So then I had to get out of the water. Like there was just this huge, like it turned into like an emergency because the state was so like upregulating. And then there's like nurses, of course, or like these midwife helpers or midwife assistants that I've never seen or never met before. And they're all speaking Estonian. And at some point I was squatting. And I remember the midwife saying, the baby doesn't like that position. And I was confused by that. And I remember the doula said something to her in Estonian. And then the midwife just stopped and kind of let me do my thing. And so it was interesting because also I remember this, like, and my partner also remembers there was some kind of little like cattiness between the doula and the midwife. And you could tell there wasn't like a symbiosis there either. And so I imagine that my doula probably did keep me from receiving like a lot of interventions. I remember at one point somebody came in with a vacuum and I didn't know what it was. It was like a big machine. and It was two like strangers and they came in with this like thing. And I was like, what is that? I remember asking. And then the doula telling me what it was. And I was like, no, 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 no. And she told them like, no, you know, just stop. So I was so glad that also, I don't know, maybe if she wasn't there, then they would have like inserted that inside my vagina, you know, which is just horrifying to think about. And makes me feel for the women that do experience that, you know, as like a, just like, let's get this moving along. And you're talking about I was maybe there for an hour. So my water broke at 6 a.m. And baby came out by 1.30 in the afternoon. So overall that time, it was like a very like boom, boom, bang. And um, yeah, I ended up, she also, the midwife gave me an episiotomy. There was no like consent. You know, there was no like, hey, I'm about to do this. Hey, I'm about to do an internal exam. It was just like I was kind of this object and things were like happening to me so fast and so like, in this emergency way and also in another language that it's like, it was so just hectic and so unfortunate, you know? And finally the baby came and he was like blue as a blueberry and they put him right on my chest and then he just didn't leave for a long time. You know, and of course we did the delay cord clamping and um, I remember his head was just like so pointed and you could just tell it was probably from being in the birth canal for so long. He was just like ready to come out right there at home. 
And then that transition, just like, of course, everything stopped. Like my cervix stopped, my pelvic floor tucked in. Like I immediately went into like fight or flight and my body reflected that, you know, and my baby felt that stress. And, um, still to this day, we talk about, I had this realization because he struggles like with transitions, like transitioning from one thing to another really frightens him. And you can tell that he, now he's five. And that's still something we have to like really prepare him for is like, if something is about to transition, like we're about to move from one place to another, or we're about to move from playing to dinner, you know, little things, he really struggles with it. And I'm sure to some extent, all kids have to learn that, like, we're going to stop this one activity and do another activity. And, you you know, it's just kind of time now, but we would have to like really prep him for like He's not a go with the flow kind of babe and I feel like this comes back to this blueprint of like how he chose to come into the world and this is like his he has to figure this out you know we're here to help him but that's something that he battles with and I do feel like that's a reflection of the way he came into the world and um so yeah and afterwards the postpartum was just such a struggle they ended up keeping us in the hospital for like three days which I was so just distraught by because I felt like my midwife had told me we could go right home, you know, and they just kept creating these like ways to keep us there, which I also felt like they didn't trust us somehow, you know? Right. And, um, yeah, it was just like, once we finally got home, I, um, took me a long time to even realize like, oh my gosh, that was like, not really the situation that I had imagined at all. How did you come and, to find? How did how did you come to realize that this is not the way it should be, and that this this was a traumatic event? Because I think it's so uh, normal, you know, like it's mm-hmm. so common. It shouldn't be normal, yeah. but it takes a lot to actually realize that this kind of thing shouldn't be happening because it is so common. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I spoke to so many women, Estonian women, that had given birth, and they gave birth in the same space in like a similar way. Mm -hmm. And there was no sense or hint of any type of trauma or like Mm -hmm. assault, you know? Yeah. And I realized that like, and even sometimes when I would tell people about the story, I remember one woman saying like, so how did it not go to plan? Like she was confused. Like, why didn't it, like, what was, what happened? You know, like even after I told like what I didn't like about the experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think at some point I realized it maybe whenever we were, my partner and I were like becoming intimate again. I think that was kind of the point where I was like, wait, I was actually like cut. My perineum was cut with a pair of scissors without my consent. And I also had like received someone like sticking their hands inside me without any permission. You know, I was like, I suddenly realized that whenever it was like came time to be touched again, you know, and I was like, wait, I can't actually be touched right now because I was like, I can't get over. That's kind of the moment maybe when it like, hit even further home. Like I knew it was like an experience that I didn't like. And I could tell my baby was deeply affected by it, you know, crying the whole first night and just colicky and just so like upset, you know, he had to let me know, but I didn't know that he was letting me know. I just knew that he was upset and I must've been doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who to talk to about it. And I had like very little support and very little like courage to reach out for support. Mm -hmm. And, um, Yeah. So, but yeah, at some point I realized it was because the intimate intimacy was like difficult. And, um, it was only five years later that 
I kept having around his birthday, this like reoccurring, like it would, it would, it would in the middle of the night, I would like the actions of what happened, the hecticness of what happened at the birth would keep replaying in my head over and over and over again. And so I could go through times where it didn't happen, of course, but around the time of his birthday, it would like surface again. And it would be like three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I couldn't stop thinking like, it's the doula's fault. It's the midwife's fault. I was so angry at them, you know, because I felt like if we would have never hired that doula, then she wouldn't have came. And I just would have like spontaneously gave birth at home. Like it would, he was just coming so quick that I would have squatted right there next to the tub. And instead of being told we got to go, he just would have came in, you know, two pushes and everyone would have been like, there he is, you know? And I held on to that so hard. I couldn't let go of like, if it would have been this way, then it would have been this way. You know, if she wouldn't have been there, then I would have had the birth of my dreams. I couldn't accept responsibility for that's just the way it had to be. That's the way he chose to come in the world. That's the situation you were an energetic match for. You had to go through that experience to become the person and the woman you are today. Like it took me five years to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like a combination of doing a birth processing session with Ayla Cuenca. And previous to that, I was reading about trauma in the book, um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Oh my gosh, amazing. And she goes through like this. I haven't really read the book all the way through, but I remember at some point, like looking through the index when I needed some inspiration and um there was something about trauma there and at some point you have to kind of go through those traumas and you have to lay them to rest like she talks about how when you see like a cross on the side of the road for like is a memorable like thing for someone who had died maybe they're in a car accident it's quite fascinating how she made that connection she said you got to lay those crosses you got to put those crosses up you got to lay it to rest you know it's just like let it be and you don't forget about it you don't like, and part of that is forgiveness, like forgiving the country, she even mentioned, which I was like, wow, that's big. Wow. And forgiving the person, you know, like so sometimes there are transgressions that are huge, but at some point you have to lay them to rest and you have to find like forgiveness. And wow. of course my maiden died that day, you know, and it was not like a desirable death. It was just like, so already birth is such a death and rebirth anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the part where she's talking about putting those little crosses. And she, I remember one really important part that I read too was that you know that healing is happening when you're moving from anger to compassion. And I realized that I wanted to get there. You know, I wanted to get to a point where actually I felt, or, or you know that you feel sorry for the person. She didn't say compassion, sorry. She said that you go from feeling angry at this person or this country or this like whoever the transgressor is mm-hmm. to actually feeling sorry for them. Mm-hmm. And that's like a transition that whenever you're kind of on your way to healing, you're, you're getting there if you can go from anger to feeling sorry for them. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I really did just feel so sorry for that midwife. And I felt so sorry for that doula and all those nurses because they were in some kind of psyop. And they felt it too, after that experience, that that just wasn't right. You know, in some way they had to know on like a cellular level that that was like, not the way, mm-hmm. you know, they know, they know, deep mm-hmm. down whether, they know it subconsciously. Whether and it to keep doing it. Yeah. To keep doing it and having that, like, even just this subconscious thing, like, I feel sorry for them for that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was like a big transition point for me. I read that part of the book and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this birth processing session, which is where I really was able to begin to take responsibility for how I got myself like in those certain situations. And 
you know, because I was so angry at the system, there was like a connection there that having that traumatic birth allowed me to stay angry. Like in some way, this anger at like the birth world and like the modern medicine and the big pharma, like I was angry at them and it was very radical anger. And I was like, I am woman, hear me be angry. You know, I was able, because I had that traumatic birth, I was able to keep being angry at Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So in some way, this anger was like a warm, fuzzy blanket for me. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, created a situation where I could stay angry. And so that was also a huge, really hard pill to swallow. That was like the matrix. You want the red pill or the blue pill? Yeah. And, you know, I took the pill that like woke me up and I was like, shit. (laughs) There it is. There it was. It was all there for me. I picked it up one by one, like little stones and put them in my pocket, you know. (laughs) And um, then I was able to say, now I'm going to choose a new story. You know, only when I could recognize that story and see it and accept it and like take full responsibility for all of it. It was no, of course it wasn't the midwife's fault or the doula's fault. I saw all the red flags. My little self decided to go through them and walk through them. And I, I abandoned myself, you know, in that way. And we all do that every day. We do little things that where we abandon ourselves and our true intuition. And this story allowed me to see that for what it was. They're like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that to yourself anymore. You can listen to your, you can trust yourself. Those little red flags, those little instincts, that wasn't something to push down and say like, everything will be okay. No, that was an opera. That was an invitation to trust your intuition, to know that you are innately wise, to know that you are a wise woman. And so that was probably the biggest gift from that experience that I still really carry with me today. And I still have to learn that, you know, those lessons, they still come to me every day in some way, but I'm quicker at realizing them. It doesn't take me five years anymore. (laughs) Thank God. You've done that work. (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm on the path, but it's cool how when the work comes quicker, you know, like you did it, you like went through it and it doesn't mean it's over. I'm not enlightened. I'm not there. I haven't reached Mm -hmm. anything yet, but I can recognize it quickly, much quicker. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's that is the it's whether you choose to listen to it or not. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because in the beginning you don't know what you're supposed to be seeing until these moments come through and give you the insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So that took you on this journey to doing the work you're doing as a yes. keeper and postpartum support. Yes, yes. And so I think it's important to mention probably quickly in respect for our time that. I was, I got pregnant again once we moved back to America and found a home birth midwife who I liked okay. And I remember telling my partner, this was a moment where I really didn't abandon myself. Like a couple key moments that I think it might be important for listeners to know is there was one point where I felt like I was really struggling in my pregnancy. I'd gotten poison ivy. I had hemorrhoids. I was like itching all over. I was really struggling. And I could tell that when I spoke to my midwife about how I was struggling, she really looked at me like, she felt sorry for me. And it was like, mm, she felt sorry for me. And I remember like, that was like a reoccurring thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had to tell her one time in her meeting, which was felt so hard to do. I had to really pump myself up to be honest with her about this. And I was like, I just need to tell you that like when I'm in labor and I'm struggling, you can't look at me like that. Like you feel sorry for me. Like, I need you to give me like, that's going to bring me that's going to put me in that won't strengthen me to get through it. You know? And I had to like tell her that. And I remember that was She received it well, but it was, I could tell it was hard for her to hear that, but I was so glad that I did. It felt awkward and it felt weird for me to be like really honest with her about what I needed 
and what, what wasn't aligning with me about being with her. But that was also like a moment where I was kind of stepping away from this good girl. If she was the person in authority and she was the one who knew, you know, what was quote unquote best. And for me to tell her that like, this isn't working and that's not going to work for me in labor felt really good. And then at one point I told my partner, like, actually, I just, I want to just give birth just us. And I want her to come after and like help with the cleanup. That's really what I want. So let's just kind of like see how we feel whenever I start labor. And let's just, I knew she lived like over an hour away. So, and I had a feeling I would have another quick birth. I just already knew I was going to be in a different environment and that I just had this feeling that she was going to come quick. I didn't know it was a she at the time, but, um, yeah, she did. She came like lightning, <laughs> same way that Ollie would have come. I was lead. I got out of the tub or I actually didn't even make it to the tub. And there's actually another really key point here. At one point I felt this urge to pee, but I was deep in the trench of a big wave and I was squatting next to our bed in the bedroom. And I was like, I have to pee, but I cannot move from the squat. There's no way I can move. I'm like, st- I'm literally in this, like some kind of cyclone. And it was hard. It was like this hard moment. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I really got to pee. And what's going to happen? And all of a sudden I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to pee on the floor. Like I've cleaned up pee on the floor before. Everything's going to be fine. It's just a little bit of pee. And then I just let myself pee. And the pee, like at the very, very end of the pee, just peeing on the carpet right next to our bed as if I was some wild animal, which I was. And at the very end of the pee, I suddenly just felt this sudden, just beautiful relief urge to push. It was like as soon as I had emptied my bladder all the way and allowed myself to do that very weird thing to pee on my bedroom floor, which is so strange and weird. But I let myself go into that primal space and I let, my, let it be okay. And it turned into this blissful push. And then I told my husband, like, okay, I got to push now so you can let the midwife know that I'm about to push. And I knew that that probably meant, like, this was, I guess, my logical brain was like, she's going to be here and the midwife will come right after she's here. And so I transitioned to the bathroom where where my husband had, like, put flowers in the tub and lit some candles and um, had towels all over the floor. So it was, like, very fluffy and plush, plush. And now, in hindsight, of course, it was the transition. It was this transition period of like, you go from kind of like, it's uncomfortable and you have the things to like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to keep doing this? What's going to happen? And like a few minutes later, you meet your baby. But the transition was so beautiful because I transitioned from the bedroom to the bathroom. So there was like this physical transition. And as soon as I walked into this peaceful bathroom with the candles and the flowers and the vibe, and I don't know if we put music on or what, but all of a sudden my whole body just relaxed. And I was like in the oasis and I squatted next to the uh, the bathroom. I don't know. And maybe like the next 10 minutes she was there. And so again, it was another very fast labor. Our son was asleep and, um, yeah, she came right out and I just was like <laughs> holding her and looking at my husband. I was like, my jaw was completely dropped. I was, my eyes were so wide. It was like the biggest surprise of my life. You know, it was like truly this like birthday present that you never knew you wanted, but it's just so amazing. And I was like holding her wet, warm body against myself, mm. just squatting. And I was looking up at him like, she's here. What the hell? What just happened? What was that? And it's so crazy how you instantly go from being on another planet, being in another realm, totally tripping balls. As soon as babe comes out, everything just is grounded. And all of a sudden you're like sober. It like sobers you up, but not sober, but like you're not on the other planet anymore. Like the baby is the other planet and you're so shocked. And it's still like this rush of, yes this rush of like yes 
<laughs> but it's not like I'm on this other planet. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's like suddenly you look at your baby and there she is, you know, just so letting me know with all her little noises that she was good. And I looked down in between her legs and the umbilical cord was between her legs. And for a second, I thought it was a testicle and I, or the scrotum. And I was like, oh, I guess we got another boy. But then I realized it was the umbilical cord and I moved it oh, out of the wow. way and I saw that she was a girl. And I was like, babe, oh, it's a girl. So that was also so cool. It was like a little trick moment where I thought maybe we had another boy and I wanted a girl so bad. I was really calling her in, you know, I wanted this like baby girl. And sure enough, as soon as she like as soon as I saw that she was a girl, I just knew in that moment that anything I want is available to me, like anything and everything that I want. It just I just have to truly like believe that it's available for me and I create it. And sure enough, the midwife came right after we were already in bed the placenta came out very easy right after I asked Oleg to get the bowl, my husband, because I thought like at some point the placenta would come, but I knew it could take like up to an hour. So I wasn't feeling any pressure about it. And then bloop, just slid right out. I didn't even feel a contraction. I was like, all right, there it goes. And we just put it on, the, put it in the bowl, walked to the bed and I laid down and we just both had this moment of just being able to look at her and no one else was there, you know. And your son didn't wake up. No, he didn't wake up at all. He woke up actually when the midwife and her assistant came because they were like being loud, you know. So it really was, in so many ways, I almost wish that I would have created the midwife coming the following day and just checking on me the next day. Because, you know, there's things that the home birth midwives still have to do that I was like, I even asked her at some point, like, can we do this tomorrow? Like, we're fucking exhausted. Like, my husband just worked a long restaurant shift. He got home at midnight after working all day. And I had just labored, you know, even it doesn't matter how long you labor. It's still like you feel like you ran that marathon, you know, whichever, whatever, however long it goes, you went through that portal. And it's like, you know, on the other side, it's so exhausting. Mila fell, fell asleep, our baby girl. And we were tired. I wanted to go to bed. I wanted her to leave. It was like a it was like a nuisance <laughs> in my house. It was like somebody that I didn't want there and I didn't need there. And I was like, I need you to go now, you know, but I actually still couldn't say that. Which looking back, I wish that I would have told Oleg, like, can you just tell her to, can you show her out, you know? Yeah. And it's nothing against her. It's against the, what she has to do by law. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just yeah. like, it sucks. I'm like, and I even specifically was like, can we do this tomorrow? Like, I have no idea what you're saying. Like, you're mm -hmm. telling me to do all these things. Like, don't go pee by yourself. Take the baby's temperature every hour. Blah, 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 blah. Like, at some point it just became like her mouth was moving, but I was just like, so just in my, I wanted to be in my bliss state and that was interrupting that I felt like. So yeah, I can see why and how either having an underground midwife or having an unassisted birth is truly just the most non-invasive way for a family to receive a new baby and um, for the new baby to receive like earth. <laughs> like it's just, you know, just such a, I can see why that for, for many, many women is becoming more appealing and more of the way, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that all led me into this. Um, it started with uh, postpartum work where I just truly felt like in America that and abroad, that that was a really underserved, just an inc incredibly underserved group of people and women and families that postpartum, we're just kind of left high and dry. And so I set myself up because I don't live in a traditional culture where, you know, postpartum help just comes automatically and like without any question, which is so like crazy to think about. 
I had to like learn how to create a postpartum like package for my own self, you know, and I hired people, I created meal people to come and give meals. And I realized actually that's what women need to learn to do is just, you have to learn to set yourself up with postpartum rest. Cause even after Ali, I remember my yoga teacher saying like in India, it's very common to rest 40 days. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. I was all about some Ayurveda. I was like, <laughs> I love that. But then on like day three, we were running around trying to get our money from the government, you know, because I didn't know how to do it. You know, I didn't know. Nobody said like one person said, you know, this teacher says to rest 40 days, but then we, because it's not already there for us in the structure of community, then it felt like, mm-hmm. um, I had to create a plan to do that. And there's no mm-hmm. blueprint for that either. So I didn't really know. I was kind of just like feeling around in the dark and yeah. there's still a lot I would do different, but I really did create this space for, and got my partner on board to know that like, that's what we were going to do mm-hmm. and that it was going to positively affect me for the rest of my life and my baby's life, you know, it just sets this tone for really forever. You know, now she's nearly three and I still like, I could have rested more, but just having that 40 days where I, we were all like in this cocoon was amazing. And it's actually so perfect that in March, in March that, um, COVID times hit and I was like, hallelujah, it was just (laughs) such a blessing. You know, my husband lost both of his jobs for a second. We were scared. But then it was actually like, wow, how could we, we couldn't have created a perfect, more perfect plan to just be here in our space. And we were in Alabama where people were just kind of like, la, 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 la. So people (laughs) still came and we all still visited with others. It was just compared to some horror stories I hear about that time. We just really created such a beautiful space like Mm. for ourselves. And it was such a blessing. I don't think you realize until you continue to have more children, how important that time is. Mm, for sure I thought I had it prepared postpartum but it wasn't until now that I realized if I was have another child how much I would protect that time and if I had another child I'd probably protect it even more because you only realize now how how much it affects the rest of your days from not having time for yourself and your baby and I'm really glad that you brought that part in because it's not just um the mothers have a lot of work on their hands to um, remember what it means to give birth without all these interventions, you know, to come back to our innate wisdom. There's a lot of unraveling to do. And it also continues into the community. The community has to take on that responsibility to support the mother and the baby at these times. And yes. it's not enough just to see what happens on the other side. It's not enough. Like we, we need to remember that and relearn it. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. And I just love how you, I love how we can be on this side of it and hear the end of the story, like till this point, I mean, because you had your experience, you learned so much from it. And that five years probably was felt such like a long time, but now you're here on the other side with your daughter and all them things that you've learned and how you can share that with the people that you know. And even if you told one person that would change their life and they continue that through their generation, the generation to come, it's really amazing. And I think doing just just sharing one story is enough like if you if just one person Mm. hears it that's incredible and I think that's why we need to talk and we need to share because also at the same time as social media being amazing it is really loud and there is still Mm. many opinions on that and it can take us away from listening to our body and listening to what we need as women as mothers Mm, absolutely which is actually what I'm working on now is like 
now I'm kind of transitioned, wondering like, where do I want, how do I want to best support women? And what do I feel like is the, like, I'm trying to just kind of zoom out a little bit and trying to see like this bird's eye view of what is the biggest thing. And it is this disconnect from our body that we learn from such a young age, like being instructed to like hug someone or kiss someone when we don't have like, you know, especially as little girls, you know, there is a difference in how as little girls, we have been conditioned to be separated from our body and disconnected from our intuition. And a lot of people profit from that. And Mm -hmm. it's good now more than ever, I think that I'm want to create, or I am feeling this like creative desire to help women realize this deep connection that we have with our bodies and like coming back to, because through my process, it was coming back to my intuition and noticing where I abandoned my intuition Mm -hmm. and how that had like a unfavorable result. If we can learn, which we can, of course, to come back to our body and connect to our body and to help to be someone to help women, to help guide women through that, like coming back to their bodies and back to their breath and back to this like trust, trust of their own intuition. This is where I'm feeling this like passion beginning Mm -hmm. to like fuel is like even before you have a baby or especially in the prenatal time, like once you find out you're pregnant, this is like the biggest invitation to come into your body and come into your own innate wisdom. And I feel just so drawn to that, like connection, helping women connect in that way. Cause it really is, it's just a daily practice, you know, and it's so possible and it's so available to us. Like that wisdom is not lost, you know, and it's just such a, it's a big feeling in me right now Mm -hmm. that I'm feeling like cultivating. So it makes me think of what we were speaking about at the beginning, you know, like the throat chakra is like this, there's also what I'm noticing is because I hold women's circles and we do a lot of body work and coming back to your body, like this is the practice initially, but then being able to voice, you know, mm. one is so big because we can, yes. on one side, it's amazing to come back to your body, but if you don't know how to put that into the world and hold space for it, it's like almost worse you know, because we know, and we're like, ah, but I know, but I can't speak what my truth, I can't speak what I, what wants to come through, and that's like the next transition, isn't it, it's like being able to do that, like to put it into the world, to, Mm. what are words, just, it's communication, like the giving and receiving of what you need, and yeah, and for me, like this, this whole week has been about how can I communicate my truth, and how can I also listen, you know, because sometimes Mm. I might say things that actually aren't in line with my truth it's still from uh, something a belief system that doesn't serve me so still hold oh, the space to, to listen to that <laughs> that's so huge and that made me think of another really big element too is that once we are are speaking our truth to maybe someone after we've spoken to ourselves and then we're sharing that truth like how is the other person receiving that communication so right. if you, let's say you're speaking to a provider and this is what I want to help women tune into is if you're speaking to a provider about your wishes on how you want to birth and how you don't want to birth. And you know that you're speaking truth. You know, you've been that you've come to that truth already. This is that you did, you did the work around what's your truth. And then you speak it to your provider and how do they receive it? How does your, how do you feel in your body once they receive it? They didn't say anything just as you were speaking to them. How do you feel in your body as you're speaking that you Mm, want to be able to move around? What is there? You don't want an IV. You know, what are they, do you feel like they're respecting that and like really holding that space and like, yes, 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 absolutely. You want to birth that way. Yes, woman. Or are they like, "Mm, we might make it happen for you. It might, (laughs) that could happen, you know, and you're like, um, 
okay. Do you say, okay? Or are you like, oh, I got to go, you know? <laughs> and it's interesting because even whoever's supporting you to your face might be saying the things that you want to hear or yeah. you feel something. Like you said, feeling your body, what's coming through because actually listen to your intuition initially. And you don't even have to like gaslight someone or, you know, make something yeah. you can say in my body, I'm feeling this coming up. I just want to yeah. make clear that this is what I would like. Is there anything that you'd like to share? And being ready mm-hmm. to have them that communication. And I always think, you know, with my partner, we're practicing this um, like conscious communication all the time and noticing, hey, are you listening to me? Because I feel like you're not. And it's okay if you haven't got space for me right now, but just to know that I am going to respect myself. Mm. I don't want to put my energy and communicate something if somebody isn't listening to me and vice versa. And just be yeah. able to say, yeah, well, I'm not available right now, but I soon will be. And if someone would have said that to me like a few years ago, I'd be like, how rude, like how dare you right. not be available for me? But it is just like honoring that so that someone can be fully present for you at, at that time when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and also for you to know that your intuition was correct in knowing yes. that they weren't yeah, really yeah. listening to you, that for them to be able to be like, actually, yes, I'm not available right now. You're like, oh, okay. So I was like, my intuition is true. Right. Once again, you know, like I can trust myself. I can know as opposed to someone else being like, no, 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 I'm here. I'm here for you. And you're like, bullshit. I call bullshit. It's like when you can kind of, this is like, I'm, I'm calling BS. Like that's a good game to practice probably. Mm. Did, did you ever play this game, BS? No. <laughs> it's, I don't even remember if it's a drinking game or what, but it's like a game where you go around the circle and somebody says something. And if I'm remembering the game correctly, it's been a while. But there is like someone will say something and it is true or it's not true. I don't know if it's a card game. It's about I have two aces and they might have oh. two aces or it might be bullshit. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. I call bullshit. And if yes. they have the two aces, then you got to like draw a card. Or if they don't have the two aces, then you're like, yes, I called it. So that's a good you're game. To get into your I do remember this. Mm. It's amazing to talk to you. And I really, I really appreciate you sharing your yes. story. Thank you so much. 